Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade. The original air date, March the 23rd, 1951, and the title is The Kimberly Crosskeeper. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Oh, Miss Bergamot, I'm so sorry, but Mr. Spade isn't in. He ought to be back any moment, however. That is, if you wish to employ him. This is his secretary, Miss Perrine. Well, as a matter of fact, Miss Perrine... Oh, he'll be available, I know. The matter he's attending to is, uh, it's just, it's purely routine. What he calls a, a humdrum number. Humdrum? Well, it's the private detective version of babysitting. You see, all Mr. Spade had to do was sit on a chair for 24 hours. And that's why I say he'll be back any minute. His last words to me were, take anything. So if you desire his Miss Perrine, I do sure not desire Mr. Spade's services. As a matter of fact, he's using mine. What? I'm his nurse at the Harbor Emergency Hospital. <gasps> nurse, another shot. Please, this time, bourbon. Oh. Lie quietly, Mr. Spade. Uh, he's coming along quite nicely. The bullet didn't enter the cranium at all. Bullet? Cranium? Both. Uh, Mr. Spade wants to... But I uh, refuse, Spade, nurse. Have... I refuse. But, Miss Nightingale, I am. F, F. Wonder Girl! Sam! Oh, Sam! Dry those big brown eyes, Cherub. Fluff up the sofa and spread out some lamp for me to lay my poor bullet-ridden head on. In practically no time at all, I'll I'll be staggering in to gasp out a humdrum report on the Kimberly Cross caper. For NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Hospitals, milk. I'll have to break down your whole constitution. Give you fits. Ah. Hey, Sam? Who else? Oh, Sam. Hmm. You look like the drummer man in the spirit of 76. Nothing, nothing, nothing. As you know, Angel, no profession is without its hazards, least of all this tawdry one of ours. Now, sit down now. Oh, uh, yes, Sam. Now, may I put my poor wounded head in your lap? Oh. Comfy? Mm-hmm. Oh, poor Sam. They're stupid, too, honey. Let's see now. Hey, new feeling. I do, huh? Uh, date, fill it in to uh, G.J. Runcible, claims manager, Sunset Indemnity Company, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the Kimberly Cross Caper. 
Dear Mr. Runcible. It's just as well for private investigators that we have no way of knowing, by the way a job starts, how it's going to end. I remember once I went beating the bushes for a mad dog killer and ended up playing Monopoly with him in a hotel room for six hours. And I remember, too, the time I agreed to take a box of homemade candy to an old lady wound up with a double murder and a case of arson. Yours, Mr. Runcible, belong to this species. Spade. G.J. Runcible, Sunset Indemnity. You available? Maybe. What'd you have? Are you or are you not available, Mr. Spade? Answer yes or no? Yes. Yes. How much? Fifty a day. Expenses, right. Right. Got a job for you next 24 hours. All you got to do is sit on a chair and keep your eyes on something beautiful. Sounds keen. Might call it a babysitting job. Oh, uh-huh. who is she? Kimberly Cross. Pretty? Like a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, rich too, huh? She's on exhibit at the Bergendorf Galleries on Sutter Street. She's on exhibit? Get over there right away. Well, I'd better. Check with Mr. Bergendorf personally and then see Johnny Stroud, our company man. He'll give you instructions. Fine. Now, now why don't you tell me what we're... Hello? Hello? Always happens on page six. Uh, Mr. Bergendorf! Mr. Bergendorf, you! Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, sir. The exhibit officially does not until 9 a.m. begin. As you see... It's 8.45. I won't charge you, Mr. Bergendorf. I won't charge you. You can bring out the baby any time now. Mr. Runcible of the Sunset Indemnity sent me my credentials. Uh Uh-huh. Mr. Spade, you are? Uh, Mr. Spade, I am. Now, uh, what's with this Kimberly Cross? Um, to a single horse gallery such as mine comes such an honor only once. Yes. Uh, Today only, Bergendorf's is with Tiffany's in the same class. Mm -hmm. Here. Uh, here. Huh? This picture of Kimberly Cross. Yeah? Fourteen stones, all blue-white. Eight down, six across. Total, $268,000 plus 20% tax. Oh, jewelry. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to call this jewelry is to call Elizabeth Taylor a garden-variety tomato. Yeah. It's a crown jewel from Turingia, Mr. Spade. Really? It's part of a state of a debt duke. Is price tag $268,000 plus Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where is it? In vault. Time lock. Comes 9 o'clock on the nose, she opens. Then... Yeah, the exhibit begins. Yeah, there's a company man here from the insurance office, isn't there? Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Stroud. Now, where is he? He's working concealed. Oh. Uh, this man Stroud undercover. Clever stuff, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, you see, uh, parked at curb across the street, one autobus. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Department of Public Health, City and County of San Francisco. What the... Anti-tuberculosis campaign is uh, giving to public for free gratis one X-ray per citizen for chest cavity. Oh, chest X-ray. Handily parking opposite the Bergendorf Gallery so inside Mr. Stroud can take for himself a plant. Uh, Get it? Clever. (laughs) Clever. The free gratis auto bus for chest x-rays was a square-end job, complete with reception compartment, x-ray machine, and attendant. The latter a sincere type with horn-rimmed glasses and white starched blouse. I use the word sincere advisedly, since he was at the moment doing a selling job on Johnny Stroud. You know what I always say, Stroud? What do you always say, George? You never can tell about a call. You never, (coughs) never know. Yeah, you see? You see right there. I got a cold. Maybe. Eight to five, it's only a cold. But five to eight, oh, let me take a picture now. 
No charge, no pain. No, no dice. Go away, go away. Oh, Spade? Yeah. Good, good. Come on in. Come on in. The boss said he was sending you up. Plenty of room back here. You realize you're standing right in front of my x-ray machine? Oh. We'll move when you get a customer. Oh, customers, Sorry. yes. Where are they? Where are those chests? If people only knew that 8 to 5, it may be a cold. Then Did again, uh, Runcible brief you on this, Spade? Yeah, it was brief, all right. How do you make it? Fourteen vulgar-sized diamonds looking for a buyer. Sunset of damnity, ensuring Bergendorf against loss during the 24 hours they're on his hands. Ah, that's two for you. That's two against me, too. Oh? Why, quite a sunset indemnity need outside help when they have you. And why are you playing like a movie dick when the sensible thing to do is to sit down next to the exhibit with both eyes open and a rod under your arm? What are you doing, George? I'm testing my machine. Don't let me interfere with you, boy. <laughs> George doesn't like me. I see that. Well, I guess the boss left out one item, Sam. A tip? Yeah, yeah, last night some schmo called him around midnight and got him out of bed. Oh? Runcible's a pessimist, you know. <laughs> when sunset indemnity's on the line for a quarter of a million, he tends to get jumpy. Who had the tip? Anonymous. They all are. Right from the oat bin, the guy says. Somebody's going to take a run and jump at the Kimberley Cross while it's at Bergendorf's. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, for the balance of the night, Runcible does not sleep. So today we got reinforcements. <laughs> Georgie? Yes? I'm going to leave you now, George, to take my post across the street while Mr. Spade... Hey, wait a minute, Johnny. Hmm? Hmm? Look, look, in front of Bergendorf's. The dame? The dame. To paraphrase Bergendorf, calling her a dame was like calling the Kimberly Cross a hunk of jewelry. But that's not what interested me, at least not right then. She was walking back and forth in front of Bergendorf's like a kid at the dentist's door trying to get up the nerve to push the button. Quoting from my notes, it says 9.02 a.m., girl, 5 feet 2, blonde, early 20s, gray tweed suit, spent a few indecisive minutes in front of Bergendorf's, finally went in. She came out almost immediately, started west on Sutter, then evidently saw a patrol officer approaching on same side of street, hurriedly crossed toward our post in public health department, mobile unit number two, and entered. Well, good morning, good morning. Am uh, um, I too early for the... Um... Oh, you're just in time. First customer of the day. There, let's see now. Name? Uh, uh, Martin. Martin? First name? Bernice. Address? Uh, eight, two, six... She wasn't a very good liar. While she was telling eight, him her name was Bernice 25. Martin, she filled it with a leather handbag with the initials PC on it. Big enough yes. to read from across yes. the street. George filled the form out, then moved her around to the Single machine. Man. By now, the cop Single. she was ducking and walked by and turned the corner. Uh, shall I? No, no, it won't be necessary to take off your coat. Is this all right? That's good. Stand right there. Hold still now. Take a deep breath. Hold it. There. That's all there is to it. You're doing a wise thing, lady. You think so? Certainly. Eight to five, it's only a cold, but five to eight... Uh, you never, never know. There, there's your stub with your number on it. We'll notify you in a few days. Thank you. Thank you. Whereupon Miss P.C. also down to the corner and into a drugstore. Five minutes later, she still hadn't come out. Stroud was beginning to champ at the bit. So what, Sam? So she's worried. Ah. She's ducking cops. She's using a phony name. Or her girlfriend's handbag. Look, I'm going. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sure I've seen her somewhere before. Where? I don't know, but I think it was around headquarters. Now who's playing movie dick? 
Look, it's uh, ten after nine. I'll go over and settle down next to the vulgar diamonds, and you make yourself comfy with Georgie. If I get busy, out you go, Keep pal. your eyes on the customers going in and out. There's a good loud burglar alarm over the door there. You can hear it the block away. You see what I mean? It's good and loud. Holy cow. Stroud took the gallery, and I set sail for the corner drugstore, pulling up in 20 seconds flat. She was gone, of course. The druggist was at the fountain, mixing a Coke, which he spilled when I reached across and grabbed him by the lapels. Blonde, you say? Yeah, yeah, young, gray suit. Hmm. I, I told you, Jack, she just came in here. I know. What do you want to know about her? What'd she do, telephone? Nope. She was just like you. Ask me about a guy. What guy? Larry Galliano, his name is. Wanted to know if I'd seen him come by this morning. Who's he? I don't know. Did she describe him? Didn't have to. His picture's on page one of the morning paper. Here, take a look. It was no time to dawdle, but I gave it ten seconds. Larry Galliano, a one-time gas station stick-up artist, had just been released from Quentin after doing five years. On the way across the street to Bergendorf's, it came back to me where I'd seen her, standing outside the courtroom, crying when they sentenced him five years ago. Over here, Sam. Yeah. Oh, no. Bergendorf, huh? Yeah. Yeah, shot from behind. The stones, needless to say... Sure. Maybe you were right about that day. No, no, she didn't have time. Someone was hiding in here waiting for Bergendorf's to open up this morning. How'd he get out? Well, there must be a back door in this joint. I'll check it. The phone's on the desk. Wake up Lieutenant Dendy, huh? Right. How he'll love it, too. Two of us holding hands across the street while... Oh, 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 Johnny Stroud! Look, look, it's me, Bergendorf, Sam Spade. Stroud? He's checking the back door. Who did it? Oh, double cross. Double cross me. Wanted it all. Who? Who are you talking about? It was as plain as a man in his condition could have made it. Obvious to anyone with average intelligence. But for stupid Sam, it was still a long voyage home. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music for you tomorrow on NBC with the distinctive four-keyboard styling of the first piano quartet. This widely acclaimed and unique musical organization brings you a melodic blend of classical and light classical selections in four-part harmony every Saturday. And tomorrow there's also a one-hour concert by the NBC Symphony Orchestra under the baton of Walter Duclos. Featured in tomorrow's symphony performance are works by Sibelius and Schumann. It's the best in music every Saturday with the NBC Symphony and the First Piano Quartet. And now back to the Kimberly Cross caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. It was a a dirty, selfish trick, but I left Johnny Stroud at the Bergendorf Gallery to play Porchisi with Dundee and company, knowing in advance pretty much how the patter was going to run. 
then called the Chronicle and found the picture of Larry Galliano had been taken yesterday as he walked out of a flea bag on Mission Street called the Aeolian Hotel. Yeah, Galliano? Yeah. Sure, 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 I know him. Stayed here the night before last. Until I found out about him. Oh, found out what? Yeah, that he was the next con there. Well. This here's a respectable joint uh, place, a uh, house, mister. Uh-huh. We don't cater to felons, Mr. Miners, or any other members of the Demond. Demond? Yes, indeed. Uh-huh. So, when I found where Galliano come from, why... Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, look, did he give you a forwarding address? Mm, I don't know. Let me see, son. Yes. Oh, yeah. Christopher Apartments on Jones. See. See, you're in luck, young man. Yeah, my girlfriend's a landlady over there. Now, looky here. Don't you sweet talk her now. Look, all I want, madam, is one moment of your time. I already told you, boy, I don't know no Galliano. Never heard of him. Pull up, so I don't want to hear from him. Yeah, well, wait a minute now. Will you just take Not a look one at... one side, boy, one oh, side. On. I got oh, four more flights there's sweet. I no time for Well, anything. Mrs. Landlady, I'm afraid you've lost out. What? Yeah, you were in line to win a bagless vacuum cleaner, you know. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, Curly. Wait hmm? a minute. <laughs> what do you want to know, bud? Yes, well, uh, this Galliano just might be using another name. Now, this is his picture right here. Oh. Yes, now, I will rephrase my question. Has he been around? Um, uh, uh, nope. I see, landlady. Well... <laughs> Do I win? Oh, I am sorry, but stand by for the giant jackpot. Is it electric? I patted her cheek, made a detour around her, and left, figuring to check with the parole board. But as I was climbing into the cab in front of the building, a stray thought hit me, and I went back to the doorway and cased the nameplates again. This time for someone with the initials I'd remembered seeing on the blonde's handbag, PC. I did better. Patricia Conroy was living in apartment 402. I buzzed four times, then tried the door. It was open. I gave the living room and bedroom a fast toss, moved on to the kitchen and cased a hamper full of laundry on the back porch. Result, nil. I'd about decided I was in the wrong apartment when I noticed something that changed my mind. A crumpled up envelope in a waste paper basket in the living room with today's date on it marked Western Airlines, flight six to Los Angeles, Passenger L.P. Galliano. I had the phone in one hand and a finger on the dial when. Put it down. Huh? Oh. Oh. Are you going to put the phone down or do I have to shoot? You mean there's no third choice? Put it down. Sure. Now what? Sit down. You'll be here for a while. Huh? His plane lands at Burbank in a half hour. If you have any dates between now and 4.30, forget them. Mind if I smoke? Go ahead. You know, uh, this is pretty heavy-handed stuff for an eye, you know. I've grown up a lot in the last two days. Not enough, honey. Or you wouldn't be stooging for Galliano. He can't run away from this kind of a rap, you know. Forty-eight hours. Hmm? That's how long Larry's been out of the pen. Well, he didn't waste any time getting back in stride. Look, uh... What's your name? Spade. 
say, what if I told you Larry Galliano had nothing to do with it? I might give you quite an argument. And I don't feel like arguing, mm-hmm. so I'll just tell you. Good. Someone offered him the job at Bergendorf's the day he got out. Larry thought it was legitimate until he heard a couple of things by accident. Like what? Like getting hired to play fall guy in a phony robbery. You mean Bergendorf was in? Sure. Till this morning. Uh-huh. They figured Larry would be a handy guy to have hanging around with his big, fat prison record when the diamonds disappeared. That's what he told me, and I believe him. I love him. Whether or not you believe or love me or him, I do not care. I also do not care what kind of a rap you pin on me when this is all over. All I want is time, enough to do a couple of errands. Now, hoist it out of that chair and put it down in the closet there. You hear what I said? Yes, ma'am. I was wrong. She was no ingenue. Happily, the closet had a light in it, so I settled down on a hatbox and read some old copies of Mademoiselle until 5.30 when I heard the door close. What with soundproof outside walls, no window, a double slab door with a lock she thoughtfully filled with gum, it was almost seven when I got back to my office. The next move, of course, was to call Lieutenant Dundee and wise up the Los Angeles police on Galliano. I picked up the phone and put it down four times. There was no use kidding myself. The yarn she told was pretty wild, but there was something about the way she told it. And I believed her. In here. Yeah. You remember me this morning, huh? Oh, George, yeah. the technician from the X-ray mobile unit. Yeah, George. What's on your mind? The funny thing. That girl, 34 chest, you remember the blonde? Oh, yeah, I remember her very well, George. What about the blonde? Well, I, I tried to call her. Operator says there's no such number... And the company has no record of a Bernice. She was using a phony moniker, George. Her name's Patricia Conroy. Oh, now why would she do that? Well, a girl's got to be careful, you know. She does, for sure. How come? How come? I I, I, I kind of took an interest in her case, you know. I, I rushed the pictures through as soon as we closed up tonight. She's an incipient case. Oh? Yes. I wanted to wise her up right away. You see, here. Here. Oh, this is... Uh, no, no, this one's Johnny Stroud. I took oh. it when he wasn't looking. Oh. Told him I was testing. He was right at that. Nothing wrong with him. But I always say you never, never... Yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. How about the girl? How about, how about the girl? Cold. Oh, hmm? yes. Yes. Here now, now, look. You, you, you see this shadowy part here? Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. I wasn't looking at the shadow part. I was looking at something at the left side of the picture, right where the inside coat pocket would be. The clear black outline of the Kimberly Cross. Do you mean she had the thing? Yeah, yeah, give me the phone. Well, I thought it was one of those clip gimmicks the girls wear on the their... phone, the phone. Okay. Spade? Johnny Stroud. Look, I got news for you. I got news for you, too. I spotted that blonde again. Where? In a bar on Connie Street. Talking to guess who? You mean Galliano? Who's he? Never mind, never mind. Who was she drinking with? Papadopoulos. The biggest jewelry fence on the coast. Where are you now? Outside her apartment. Jones near post. I think the numbers... I'll uh... be up in five minutes. Look, like I told you, Spade, I don't want to argue. She says she doesn't want to argue, Sam. 
Too bad, too bad. I, uh, I don't mind telling you I'm a little burned up, baby. I fell for that line you handed me this afternoon. I, I didn't even mind sitting in your closet for two hours. Ah, uh, what's that? Sure, she's got a thirty-two tucked away here somewhere. Had me looking up the barrel while she dished out Shut a lot up. of... Who's got the cross, honey, you or Galliano? We don't know anything about it. Then what were you doing in that bar with Papadopoulos? Larry said whoever had it would try to move it through him. I thought I could get to him, but I was wrong. How does that sound? What do you think? Look... I walked into Bergendorf's this morning. Why'd you run out? The vault was open. Furniture was overturned. And Bergendorf didn't answer when I called. I figured it was a setup for Larry to check in. And he was on his way, so... It does sound phony. It sure does, honey. I had a lie, I guess. I could make up a better story than that. Oh, you're doing great. Why'd Larry blow Tom? You need a diagram? He was scared. What chance is an ex-convict when it's his story against someone else's? What did you do with the 32? In the drawer. Over there. Ah, here's the big question, honey. I can't tell you anything else. Where are the diamonds? How do I know? How do I know? Look, you're a real modest girl, Patricia. As a liar, you're sensational. I'm not lying. Oh, believe me. You had the Kimberly Cross in your inside coat pocket when you came into the wagon this morning. What are you talking about? I'll get it. The x-ray, baby. Take a look. You asked for a diagram, there it is, in your inside left pocket. Oh, wait a minute. Hello? Mr. Spade? Yeah? This is George, the technician this, again. This is all wrong. Hold it, George. Let me see that. I don't have any inside pockets. Look, I'm wearing the suit right now. Hold it. George, what is it? Well, I got to worrying about that print of Miss Conroy's, the incipient case, 34 chest. You yeah, know? what about it? I called the lab and they checked again. It's a mistake, Mr. Spade. A switch. It belongs to someone else. Who? Johnny Stroud. Oh, Oh, well, uh, well, George, you won't have to worry about making more extra prints. What? Uh, the ones you have will do. What? Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, George. Uh, George is getting worried. Extra prints? Yeah, yeah, I had him run off a batch. Evidence, trial, DA's office, you know. Now, let's take her in, huh? Uh, just a minute. This is crazy. I have no inside pocket. How could You wouldn't I... argue with a picture, would you, honey? Give me the gun, Johnny. We'll take her in together. Uh, no, no, wait. I want to settle something else. Johnny, you're, uh, you're pointing that thing at me. It might go off. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might have that. What's eating you, Johnny? I know what's eating him. He's... Shut the... up. You aren't a very good liar either, are you, Sam? <laughs> there aren't any extra prints. Well, there's always George. In a couple of hours, there won't be any... George! No, you can't! Okay, Johnny, on your feet. <laughs> let me go, Sam. Let me go. We can work out a deal. Shut up. Sam. Sam, your head. You're shot. Here. Here, take the gun. Call Dundee. Get it? Dundee. Homicide. And the next voice I heard belonged to cool, brisk Miss Bergamot of the Harbor Emergency Hospital. Period. And a babysitting session. How intrepid, Sam. But your wound. Nothing, sweetheart, nothing. As Hopalong Cassidy always says in Real Six, don't worry, honey, it was only a scratch. Now. Wait, now, wait. Now, ooh, ooh. Oh. Can't, can't you get up without moving your lap? No, but Sam, there's one important omission. Oh? The Kimberly Cross. Mm. What did Stroud do with it? That cherub is an intramural affair between Stroud and Mr. Runcible. While, as you know, this report is an affair between you and the portable. Scoot, scoot, scoot. scoot. 
three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and mystery for you tomorrow evening. For music, it's your hit parade bringing you the top tunes in the land with Eileen Wilson, Snooky Lanson, and Raymond Scott's orchestra. For mystery, it's The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall as an intrepid adventurer in international intrigue who travels wherever there is mystery, danger, and romance. <laughs> Oh, brisk, efficient Miss Perrine. You may lay it on my desk and restore your lap to its original position. Oh, yes, sir. Ooh. Mm. Comfortable, Sam? Ah, loving every minute. Sam? Yeah? A girl can't help wondering sometimes. Mm, about what? Well, the way you described the blonde in your report. Mm. Glamorous, like the Kimberly Cross and all. You like that? wish sometimes someone else could be your secretary and, and I'd be the one you'd meet in a room with velvet draperies and a long cigarette holder and slanting glasses and, and a black lace negligee. Hold it, girl, hold it. You've gone quite far enough. I know, but it's only natural for a girl to want to be glamorous, Sam. Yeah. Oh. Pardon me, you show up with any of those props and I'll turn you over my knee. You like me the way I am, Sam? Yep. Why is it always this way? Mm. Just when I think I'm getting somewhere, I find myself saying, Good night, Sam. Oh, my sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Also in the cast were Wally Mayer, Fritz Fell, Georgia Ellis, Sidney Miller, Olin Soleil, Alice Wellman, and John Monahan. Script for tonight's adventure by Harold Swanton. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Don't underestimate the danger of tuberculosis. Although great strides have been taken toward stamping out the disease, it still remains a menace. Last year alone, it caused 50,000 deaths in the United States. 50,000 needless deaths because TB can be controlled and cured if caught in time. The key to the complete defeat of the disease is the chest X-ray. You'll find that in many communities, chest x-rays can be obtained free of charge or at a nominal cost. Later, enjoy Duffy's Tavern. Now it's the magnificent... Welcome back. To be fair to Sam, it's understandable that he thought the dying man was calling for Johnny Stroud rather than implicating Stroud as the killer because that's the last thing that he would have expected. This was an odd one in terms of the way it did its PSA. Featuring someone in a mobile x-ray clinic in the story before doing a PSA on tuberculosis and mobile x-ray clinics after the story. It's definitely a reminder of how much of a menace TB 
was at the time in the United States, and it still is in much of the rest of the world. In the U.S., compared to the 50,000 mentioned in today's episode, last year for which they have numbers is 2020 when there were 600 TB deaths, which was actually the highest since 2006. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And this comment is regarding the sure thing caper. And Eric writes, My goodness, I certainly indeed love the equationous expository style of these Damon Runyon-esque pastiches. Guys and Dolls had premiered on Broadway just the year before this episode, and its impact on popular culture can be compared to Hamilton's. Songs from the musical review were performed practically daily on hit review shows. The Andrews Sisters, Doris Day, Johnny Desmond, and Perry Como had top ten versions of Bushel and a Peck from the show on the Billboard charts at the same time two months before this episode aired. His stories were reprinted, characters in his style seeped into every show imaginable. It's sad that he didn't live to see the true impact he had on popular culture and the vernacular, having died in 1946. Well, thanks so much for the comment, Eric. Well, Damon Runyon definitely lived to see some of the impact he had on culture, as many of his short stories were celebrated and adapted into films during his lifetime. But you're right that there definitely was a real renewal and interest in his work, because not only did you have the Guys and Dolls play made, you also had a Damon Runyon theater radio program, and then in uh, 1955, there was a Damon Runyon theater TV show, and there were also a lot of movies made based on his stories, including the Lemon Drop Kid, and of course, the film version of Guys and Dolls with Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra. So, as popular as he was during his lifetime, he probably hit the peak of his popularity the first decade after his death. I think today he's probably best known for writing the story on which Guys and Dolls was based. Now, he did actually have some of his stories adapted into shorter radio sketches, and I might actually end up playing uh, one of those over on the old-time radio snack wagon because it's an interesting bit of radio, and definitely Runyon's work extended beyond just uh, short stories that became Guys and Dolls. Thank you so much uh, for your comment, Eric. Always uh, interesting and insightful. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Michelle. Michelle has been one of our Patreon supporters since May of 2020, currently supporting the show at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Michelle. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software and be sure to rate and review us wherever you download the podcast from. We will be back next Monday with another episode of Sam Spade, but join us back here tomorrow for the start of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial, where... This is Mr. Dollar, Mrs. Wendover. I understand you're investigating my husband's death. 
I'm here to verify the facts so that eastern states can act on your claim. Don't you believe he's dead? Yes. Don't you? Oh, yes. I saw him die. Yes, he's dead. How much money do you owe me? The claim is for $50,000. Will you pay it? Well, I, I presume it will be paid from all I've seen so far. Of course, that part of it's up to the insurance company. Of course. And they have men sitting at desks reading reports about claims all day long. Uh, yes. My dad owned an insurance company once, you know. Those men sitting at their desks, even my dad sat at a desk. I wonder something. Would one of those men sitting at one of those desks write, okay, on my claim for Noah's benefits if he knew about me? Uh, sit down, Mrs. Wendover. Maybe you'd like a drink. You have one, Mr. Fuchs, would they? Well, I, I have to be indefinite about that, too, Mrs. Wendover. What would put a question in the mind of an adjuster if he knew about you? I'm indolent, and I'm irresponsible. Mr. Fuchs can tell you that. I'm not quite dependable, am I, Mr. Fuchs? Oh, we're getting straightened out, Mrs. Wendover. And then, of course... That wouldn't make a difference. I mean, not really. A great many irresponsible, indolent, undependable people file claims. There's something else. I'm a curse. Are you? Oh, yes. It's a very bad thing, a curse. People around me, people I love, just seem to die. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.